What is nil punning? In this episode, we're going to go over the benefits, some of the disadvantages of nil punning, and really kind of dive into what what this is all about and its origins, things like that. My name is Eric Normand, and I help people thrive with functional programming. So the folks at Functional Design Enclosure uh, recently, a couple days ago, put out an episode called What is Nil Punning? Same as my episode. Uh, and it's a great episode. You should go listen to it. Uh, I wanted to throw in my two cents into this discussion. I think podcasts could be a lot more um, back and forth between different podcasts, just like blogs used to be back in the day. So uh, this is my addition, my response to their to their um, their episode. Okay, so the why is it called nil punning? I think that's important to talk about. Uh, when you have a word that has two meanings, that word can be used in some some sentences, you know, some wordplay where the sentence now has these two meanings and it's kind of like a, it's just a fun thing that uh, you, the same sentence can be read twice in the same, in two different ways. And uh, so that's kind of what nil punning is, that nil has different meanings in different contexts. And so you can treat it like different things in different contexts. And so kind of have the same kind of word play going, same kind of pun. Uh, and so that's what, that's why it's called punning. Um, so the original nil punning was in Lisp, as far as, as far as I can tell. Um, and the idea in, in Lisp was that nil, uh, represented the empty list. Nil was the empty list. So when you had these const cells that would point to the next list, the last one would point to nil to represent, okay, that's it. We're done. You can stop you know, looping through these const cells. But then nil was also false. So if you had an if statement and one of the things returned nil, it would go to the next line, right? It would go to the next, it would go to the else branch. Uh, and so you could pun it. It was this thing that represented both the empty list and false falsehood. Um, so then another thing that happened was like, well, if nil is false, so you have an if statement that has that the test is a nil expression, uh, you know, returns nil, then what is that makes everything else must be truthy, right? Everything else must be a true value. And so then it would do the then branch. So you had this cool thing where you could say if tail or if cutter of this list and th if the cutter was nil you didn't have to say like equals nil cutter of the list you you didn't have to do the equals nil or not equals nil because it was a boolean also and so if you had a nil represented no answer right so it's a third meaning for it so it's not only is it there's it's the empty list, it's also no answer. So now you could say, do I have an answer just by naming the thing? 
And, you know, this this was, people liked this in Lisp. It felt really nice and natural. And there's, in fact, a whole poem about what would happen if you systematically got rid of the nil punning in Lisp and, like, how much code would, how much your code would grow because you're constantly having to check if this is nil, um, you compare it to nil, instead of just this, you know, nice, elegant, if x meaning if I have an X, if X is not nil, if X do this, uh, otherwise do that, it, it, it becomes, it explodes, right? So um, nil punning has been there for a long time. Now fast forward 50 years to closure, and there's a lot more than just cons cells and atoms symbols you know the few things that the original Lisp had there's a lot more and especially there's a lot more data structures and things are based on interfaces abstractions so you have the sequence abstraction you have the associative abstraction so and, and there's more and so now it's like well what does nil mean in each of those contexts so in closure if you if you uh, use a nil value in an associative context, let's say you associate a new value onto a new key value pair onto a nil, it will kind of promote it into a hash map. Okay, but if you if you conj onto a nil, so you you treat it like just a generic collection that can add new items to it, that nil will be promoted into a list okay so that's a round braces list uh, etc there's like every every abstraction has a meaning for what you do with a nil so this is another of punning and now nil has all these different meanings in different contexts and so it's it's fun you pun you pun um, it did change stuff though. Closure got rid of nil being the empty list and nil being the falsy value, right? So nil is not the empty list. They are not the same. There's an empty list, uh, which is, you know, when you print it out, it's two parens. You can just type two parens and it'll make the empty list. And uh, it, the empty list is a truthy value while nil is a falsy value. And also, because closure is on the JVM, uh, closure has booleans, it has a true and false value, a type that has true and false, and nil is not equal to false, they are different. So nil is still falsy, nil and false are the two values that are, will you know fail a test in an if statement, but, uh, the but they're not equal and so that's one of the objections that people have to nil punning is that they say isn't this just another version of weak typing and i would argue no it is not a version of weak typing nil is a, a value that is not equal to anything else okay so when when people talk about weak typing they mean stuff like in how in javascript um, you will do stuff like zero, 
and you use the double equal. So zero equals equals zero. Obviously that's true, right? It should be true. But zero equals equals the array with zero in it, the singleton array with zero in it, that's true. And then you do zero equals equals false. And that's true. How is zero equal to false? And so does that mean that false is equal to the array with zero in it? Like it just doesn't doesn't compute. Well, in Clojure, that doesn't happen. We don't compare across types in that way with equals. What nil is, is a, it's a value that has a meaning in these different contexts. Just like a hash map has a different meaning from a vector in the same context, this nil value in that context has a meaning. Okay. So it's, it's like a type. It has its own uh, implementation of those different interfaces. Okay. Uh, and so, so, okay, so they believe me on the weak typing. All right, let's assume that they believe me, uh, hypothetically. It's not weak typing. There's another issue which they bring up, and I bring it up too. This is a real issue. Uh, you don't know where the nil came from, right? So you have some nil and just a, some background. When you, in closure, since nil kind of has a meaning in every context, almost every context, what happens is a nil value is perfectly valid, that nothing's gonna throw an exception because it's there, and it just keeps working, just like any other value that's valid. And in fact, nil is valid in way more contexts than any other value. And uh, so you don't even, like you, at some point it, you know, will throw an exception. You try to do something with it, you call a method on it, and now you get a null pointer exception. Like, where did that come from? This value, you know, started way up here and it got changed here and then this other thing replaced it. And like, where in that chain did the nil come from? Okay, so um, you could say that this is the same problem that you have in Haskell with maybe. Because uh, in my experience with Haskell, you have when you have a maybe and you're using it monadically so that a nothing, so the, the version that's, you know, the, the analogy with nil in closure, you have nothing. Once you have a nothing, that whole maybe is going to be a nothing. The whole chain. So you're chaining all these computations. Once you have a nothing somewhere in that chain, the rest of it's going to be a nothing. So you just get a nothing out the end, and you don't know which, which link in the chain caused it to be nothing. So you have this problem that you don't know where it came from. But that's not really what they're saying. That is That is a minor inconvenience, but that's not really what they're saying. What they're saying is in closure, you didn't even know that nil was possible in that chain. Whereas in Haskell, you knew that nothing was possible because you were using a maybe type. And so the type checker was telling you, you have, you, you can have a nothing. Um, whereas in closure, you called some Java methods and you did some stuff. And like at some point somewhere, you got a nil and you didn't even know 
because the Java, the semantics of Java is that you can return nil from anything that returns a, an, uh, an object, right? And so you, 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 it's just, it just appears out of nowhere and then it flows through your program and you don't know where that nowhere was. You know, it appears out of somewhere. <laughs> it's not out of nowhere. It's out of somewhere, but you don't know where it was and it's very hard to track down. Uh, and so it would be much nicer if uh, there was some kind of uh, error semantics for nil somewhere so that it would have caught it sooner, like at development time, right? You would have been like, oh, boom, I, I called this method, it returned nil, and it, and it uh, explodes and tells you exactly where that nil came from. But it doesn't do that. Uh, the nil uh, will flow through and have different meanings in all the context it goes through. And then at some point you, you get the answer and you're like, oh, I didn't, where did this nil come from? So that is a problem in closure. Um, right. So why do we like nil punning in closure? Um, so we have to, we have to take a look at the, um, the JVM. So the JVM has nulls and it also has this problem of, uh, uh, methods returning null that are not part of the type signature, right? Nothing says, uh, this method's not going to return null. And in fact, a lot of methods do return null, um, when, when you wouldn't expect it to, you know, in fact, I know it's not a best practice, but it happens. Something will say, well, I return, um, a list of answers, but if there's no answers, I return null, right? It's unfortunate. Well, and, and this happens in JavaScript too. It will turn null and in closure script, we have the same semantics of nil punning. What's annoying is that uh, when you get the empty list, you can run a method on it. If you get an, if you got a list, you can run a method on it, right? You can like map over it or, you know, whatever you can do in, in the, like in JavaScript, you can run map on it. Um, but in Java, you can do other things, right? You can get an iterator from it or something. But because you there have the possibility of returning null, you have to check this before you run a method on it. So you say, if this is not null, then iterate over it uh, and do this thing with every element. Where in closure, we treat the nil like an empty collection. And so it's the same code. We just say, iterate over this. So whether you get an empty collection or you get, or, you know, a collection with elements in it, or you get a nil, the code is the same. And in a lot of cases, this is better. Okay. So considering that the constraints of the JVM, this does solve a lot of the problems. It's not every problem it has that problem I just talked about, but it solves so many problems. I work, uh, I, like I run my site on WordPress and so it's PHP and this problem is everywhere. Some functions return false. 
Some re functions return null. Some functions return an empty array. And so you have to check before you iterate over a thing every single time. The thing is, you're going to forget one time. And if you forget that one time, then your software crashes. The page doesn't load. And it's, I mean, it becomes an idiom. Is this thing empty? No? Okay, now I'm going to iterate over it. Like, why don't you just iterate over the empty thing, right? And uh, in Clojure, uh, it's built into the language. You could put some kind of wrapper around it, you know, that uh, returns it, like turns a null into an empty array. Like something like that would be really helpful. But in Clojure, it's built in uh, that nil, because it has a context in this, you know, as an, as an iterable thing, we call it, it's uh, the sequence abstraction, because you can iterate over it just like you can iterate over a collection, we don't have that same trouble. And this, like I said, this solves a ton of problems. Not all of them, and sometimes it can get awkward because nils and false, you know, they're both falsy, and you know, you want the false values, you don't want the nils, so you have to be very choosy about how you pick out values from a collection. Um, or, you know, if you just or them all together, you lose all the nils and falses in the same, you know, it's, there's problems and you gotta, you gotta be careful with them, but it does solve a lot of problems at the same time. Well, um, I think I'm, uh, I, I think I left something open that I can't remember now. So I'm just gonna close this out and hope I think of it before I finish the episode. All right. So nil punning, uh, basically means nil has different meanings in different contexts. And so you can play with the different contexts, same value in different contexts and treat it, treat, um, you know, for instance, if you're in a Boolean context, like if you're doing an if statement, you can treat it like a Boolean. If you're doing an iteration, you can treat it like a collection, etc. And so that's just, it just, it just makes, it makes things nice. We like it. Um, makes the, the idioms that we use very concise. Uh, the original nil punning was just the two things is that nil was the empty list and it was a falsy. Right, so it rep and I guess the third thing is that it represented no value if you had no answer. So um, they kind of work together, right? Falsy is like not no truth. <laughs> uh, the uh, empty list is like no rest of a list, right? So it's no answer to the question, what's the rest of the list? Um, you know, so they they kind of they kind of work together and. It was a very tight little thing in the original Lisp. Closure has a lot more abstractions, a lot more context, basically, for nil to have a meaning. Um, and uh, so nil takes on meanings in all those contexts. And so nil becomes a thing that can be passed around and be meaningful. Uh, unlike in Java, for instance, where like the only thing you can really do with a value that might be null is check if it's null, right? Is this thing null before you, you know, move on to calling methods on it? Um, 
it's not weak typing because we're not saying that nil is equal to false. We're not saying that nil is equal to the empty list. It's simply that like different types, it has different meanings in different contexts. So just like, um, uh, just like a hash map, has a different meaning from a vector, even though you can iterate over both of them. It has different meanings, right? Uh, the nil also has a meaning in that context. Um, there is a problem, which is that you don't know where the nil came from. Some function, some method that you called somewhere in your code produced a nil and you weren't expecting it. And there's often it will get threaded through till the end of the calculation and you have it there and you, you don't know what to do with it. You don't know where it came from. You didn't expect it. Haskell um, does not have nulls, uh, but it does have maybes and the nothing is kind of the most analogous thing to a nil or a null enclosure. And the, at least you know that nothing is possible in Haskell because it's part of the type and the, types are consistent all righty um well i didn't think of the thing so maybe i'll have to do another episode uh if you like this episode uh you should check out the uh functional design enclosure episode that came out is episode 47 came out september 20th it's called what is nil punning it's a good podcast uh you should uh subscribe to it if you're into closure they, they have a real knack for uh, explaining uh, lots of cool stuff in Clojure, but over voice, you know, which is not, not the easiest thing to do. All right, but if you like this episode, you like this podcast, you can find the past episodes at lispcast.com slash podcast. There you'll find audio, video, and text versions of all of the past episodes. So you can, you can consume it however you like. Um, You'll be able to, you'll find some links to subscribe. So if you want to subscribe to the podcast or to the, the videos, it's on YouTube. You can also just get the text as RSS, whatever you like. And you'll also find links to social media where I love to get into these discussions. Nil punning is kind of a touchy subject, you know? Um, I try to be careful. Like, I don't think it solves all problems. I think it solves a lot of problems. But some people are just so fed up with it. They're like, I want types. Get me out of here. So um, let me know what, what side of the fence you are on in that. Uh, do you like types? Do you think types solve this problem once and for all? Um, I think uh, I think that th this is a big topic. So I'd love to hear your opinions on it. Awesome. Um, Oh, I'm going to close out now. I, I really thought I would think of it. So this has been my thought on functional programming. My name is Eric Normand. Thank you for listening. And as always, rock on. <laughs>